This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back again together. Uh, such a good show today. A couple of great interviews. And again, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. I do want to give another shout out. I don't know how well I did on uh, earlier in the week. Uh, Andrea Kay filled in for me, the great Andrea Kay, who, of course, hosts the Andrea Kay Show. And uh, she filled in for me for the better part of three weeks um, every day. And she's a great pro. She's a great consultant. Conservative. She has great energy, and she could, she's a very, very good friend. And so thank you, Andrea Kay, uh, for filling in for me and keeping the show going. I appreciate it very much. And uh, I filled in for her a few times, but never uh, for such a length of time. It was very kind of her. So I, I can't express enough to you all. If you're not a listener, uh, if you're not paying attention to the Andrea Kay show and on Facebook, she's got a great presence. You need to do that. The Andrea Kay, uh, special, special colleague. So thank you for that. All right. Well, listen, remember I've set up for you before the opening of the show the radio show is this first segment and the first segment is called what you need to know the wink w-y-n-k and if you go to proamericareport.com you can sign up for the daily wink which is an email that goes out at 8 a.m east coast time 5 a.m pacific time and it's free you just sign up with your email address go to proamericareport.com and sign up and what's the point well the point is to try to identify the things that you need to know, the aspects of what's happening that you need to know. And some examples are, uh, for, for example, uh, about a year and a half ago, I started talking about the narrative machine and trying to point out to you where the narrative machine, which is comprised of big tech, big media, and big government, how they work together to create a narrative out of whole cloth to try to persuade you. And I, I talk about that about probably every other show for a couple of months. So the idea of the wink, the daily wink, the daily wink in the email and in this program is the stuff that I'm seeing that I'm hearing from you, hearing from others, reading about and saying, hey, do you realize this is going on? Here's another example of something we talked about, I don't know, seven months ago. I think I might have been the first person to talk about it, but I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter. But I've seen it creeping into other coverage. And on the on the near anniversary of Joe Biden's one year in office, here's what I want to go back to is this point I made before. And that's this. Joe Biden hasn't so much been president of the United States as been the senator of the United States. And if you think about his career, he went into the U.S. Senate uh, when he was just in his late, I think, late 20s. Right. I'd have to check for sure. But I think it was late 20s. He was he was barely old enough to have the position. I think you I think in order to be yeah, in order to be a House member, you have to be 25. In order to be a senator, you have to be 30. In order to be president, you have to be 35. I think he just turned 30. When he was he was elected in November, he turned 30 in December and was sworn in soon after. So he's been his whole life. He's been a senator. So what is the characteristic of a U.S. senator? The characteristics of a U.S. senator are absolute control over your life. No one can tell you where to be, what to do, what to say. You have complete job security if you are a good politician Joe Biden has been a good politician, especially in a state like Delaware. And you work hard to keep your, uh, you know, your constituents happy and all that. There's no one, not the head of the Senate, not the president of the United States, not the U.S. Supreme Court. Any of those people can tell you to do something. Any of those people can persuade you in the court of public opinion. The media can't tell you. That, I'm, I'm talking about telling you what to do. 
If you're a U.S. senator, you have total control of your life, your schedule, your staff, your day-to-day travel, anything you do. Others will work around you in your day job, in your job, in your job as U.S. senator. You have a huge office, huge staff. You have a secret office in the U.S. Capitol. They call them hideaways, which are really nice offices off on the side somewhere. And you you cannot be tracked. You can't be messed with. You can't. Your your salary can't be docked. Your benefits are great. You have your own doctor. You know, senators. There's a Senate doctor. There's a doctor for the Congress and all. I mean, a medical, a whole medical, not a doctor, a whole medical unit that you get your health care from. So the point, my point here is that Joe Biden for almost 50 years and, and when he became the vice president, the only real job of the vice president is, you know, check on the health of the president and be the head of the Senate. And so Joe Biden for eight years, his job was to be the head of the Senate. Now, it's mostly ceremonial. You're not down there every day, but that was his job. No, nobody's calling the vice president and saying, hey, you know, we demand you do this or we demand you do that. You're not a cabinet secretary. If you're a cabinet secretary to a president, you can get a call from the deputy chief of staff of the president of the United States, and you could be the cabinet secretary, John Ashcroft as attorney general or Azer as the health and human services or uh, whatever that term, whatever the one, ever get it right. All, uh, those people get phone calls from a deputy chief of staff or a deputy press secretary, and they say the president wants this, and you do it. If you're VP, nobody tells you what to do. The president can tell you what to do, but he mostly wants you to stay out of the way. There's nobody that really entrusts, you know, Clinton said that he was entrusting Gore to reinvent government and and uh, Obama said that he had Biden was the last person in the room. I, you know, I, I guess the one that George W. Bush, he certainly had Cheney more active, uh, probably the more most experienced VP ever. He'd been uh, he'd been defense secretary twice. He'd been a congressman in leadership. He'd been chief of staff to the president. So Cheney was a little different, but even he. So Joe Biden spent. His whole life being a senator. And here's another thing about a senator. No one can tell you you're wrong. No one can tell you to change. No one can tell you to apologize. No one can tell you to grovel. Nothing. If you think of Joe Biden as a senator who happens to be in the Oval Office, and now think about what he does. He spends most of his time's weekends at his home in Delaware, either the one, the big house that he built, uh, or the one at the beach. He spends the rest of his time at uh, Camp David. I don't blame him for any of them, by the way. You don't get to escape from the job. You're, You're still present wherever you are. Everything comes with you. But my point is, no one's telling him what to do. No one's telling him to change. No, if you look at him, he's not like Bill Clinton was to a fault adjusting to the public persona. I mean, excuse me, to the public uh, uh, perception and adjusting to the uh, public will uh, all the time. And Biden is doing none of that. He's not. It doesn't even look like he's even trying. And the reason why, and I've seen this coverage, he's acting like a senator. He's not acting like a president. And in fact, so much so that there's coverage of him now saying he's spending too much of his time worrying about the House and Senate, worrying about Congress. He should be doing lots of other things. Now, let me pause and say this. One year into the presidency of Joe Biden, he may look like he's flailing and he is. He may look like his policies are failing and they are. But I have to say, he's doing a lot of transformation of this nation through the power of the executive. He's appointed a ton of judges. 
They've been confirmed. Schumer's got them through. He's appointed people into key bureaucratic positions that are going about their days with lots of delegated powers, either through the Congress, having passed laws that directly empowered them, or more likely in this age of the growth of the executive power, Congress passes these sort of all-encompassing acts, acts ACTS, that give power to the agencies to do something. But Joe Biden's getting a lot done. Don't they get that wrong? But I just want you to sit back and say to yourself, are you seeing an executive who knows how to manage a sophisticated bureaucracy? That's what a president has to do. You're not day-to-day managing all the departments, but you're managing the managers, right? You're a sophisticated... You don't have to do that if you're a senator. If you're a senator, you have five senior staff... You really have like two, a chief of staff and a scheduler slash body man. But let's say it's five. Say there's a press aide and say there's a uh, general counsel, maybe five people. And you know what they always say? Great idea, Senator. Oh, yeah, we'll do that, Senator. And you watch this presidency and you say to yourself, I'm not sure that I'm seeing a guy who wants to be president as much as a senator who wants the attention, right, to go down and, 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 and be in the big seat because he's not managing like that. And you're, again, my point here is watch for more and more coverage. It's kind of, there's a kind of petulance to a U.S. senator after a certain amount of time, no matter which party, by the way. You, you just become so insulated from having to do anything other than your own, uh, um, you know, will or desire that it, it doesn't look right. And, and a president usually is someone who's more responsive to the public. So that's one. That's what you need to know. Watch for that and think about it. It'll change how you see this president and this presidency if you think that he's really just a senator who uh, ended up being president. I'm not sure it matters, by the way, because we may still watch the world go to war and then all kinds of things fall apart uh, because of his incompetence. It doesn't matter. You know, Jimmy Carter was a governor and was a a CEO type uh, and still made a mess of things. But um, but it is it does give you some understanding, in my opinion, of what Joe Biden is doing. Uh, makes a little more sense. So there you have it. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. We come back. We got this great, excuse me, we have some great interviews. Don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily email and also these great interviews all week long. Most of the days this week, we are having at least one, sometimes more than one, pro-life uh, advocate as we get towards the uh, pro-life march and the anniversary of the terrible decisions, Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton. So go to ProAmericaReport.com. You can see all those and pass them on on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, on Facebook, Ed Martin Live. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Well, I have a little bit of a mixed feeling today as we talk to our next guest. Not about talking to him. I'm finding I'm really interested in talking to him. His name is Hugh Brown. He's the executive vice president of the American Life League. Uh, American Life League is ALL.org, which you can tell when somebody's got such a good name. ALL.org means they've been around for a long time, and they have, and they've been fighting for pro-life. And Hugh, we're going to talk about the March for Life. We're going to talk about what's happening in the life movement. But... 
uh, close listeners to the show will know that Jim Sedlak, who was the executive director of the American Life League, was a new, and I think he was on twice or three times in the last six months, a new guest to the program. He was really interesting and had a great perspective in his leadership, and he passed away uh, just a few days ago, and uh, that was a surprise to me. I'd only talked to him on the show and, and uh, off the uh, off the air a couple times just to visit, uh, but that was quite a shock. So first of all, Hugh, I'm sorry for your organization's loss. Uh, I know from reading about Jimmy, he'd done a great service for many years and had lived a wonderful and full life. So I, I don't think he, we've been, I don't think we've been um, shortchanged by his wonderful life, but I'm sure it's still a shock. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. I appreciate you asking about him and bringing him up. Yeah, Jim, Jim has been with the organization since the 90s and been involved in the pro-life movement, you know, most of his adult life. Uh, he'd worked you know, as a professional IBM for many years and did uh, some advocacy work while he was there. But then as he retired, you know, for the last 30 years, probably, he was full bore into battling evil. I mean, Jim specifically yeah. went after and targeted Planned Parenthood. And as I said uh, earlier to someone, we, you know, we were blessed. You know, we, obviously, we didn't expect him to pass away uh, here recently, but we were blessed to have known and worked among some giants in the, the fight against evil. And Jim certainly was one of them. Well, and I do want to say, pause one second, because, I mean, and, and if you go to ALL.org, the American Life League's website, uh, you can click on a link right there, and you can get through to a piece written by uh, by the founder, uh, Judy Brown, uh, ALL, American Life League's founder, and she's really the one of the public faces. There's lots of different people, but she's really the leader, and she writes so well about Jim and his service and his classic, uh, it's it's classic of her her writing and all, uh, but a tough year. Uh, your, your father, by the way, that's your mother, of course, and your father father passed yeah. away and although he was a quieter uh wasn't as famous as your mom uh he was very very valuable in fact i i was telling someone about the, this jim sedlak and they said you know they just lost paul and he was a, kind of a trailblazer of of fundraising and of marketing and so uh i'm really sorry Hugh. it's been a tough uh six or eight months i guess yeah thank you very much uh, he, my father actually passed on november 4th um, he, he'd oh, been wow. doing well. Yeah. And believe oh. me, we didn't expect that he was going to pass either, but he, uh, he's clearly in a better place. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very inspiring story, maybe for another time, but his, you know, sort of the end of his life was, was, um, I don't know how to, how to coin it. Nothing short of miraculous in terms of uh, how mm. some things un unfolded for my father. So as sad as mm. that is, I mean, when, when, when they founded the American life league, you know, my dad was part of that while Judy was the face. You know, my father was the business guy behind yeah. the scenes, risk taker, yeah. you know, mortgaging the house, doing whatever. <laughs> that was it. What did I know? Right. But I know these things now because yeah. I'm talking to you because my commitment yeah. really, um, I've been in business for a long time, but started working for her, you know, probably 10 years ago in terms of just essentially volunteering my time to, she's my hero. So whatever I can do to help yeah. her, I mean, her courage and her commitment to the truth, um, it's come at great cost, um, but who cares? I mean, it, it, we're, we're, we're doing yeah. the Lord's work here, so... Um, it, it, it's well, my honor uh, uh, yeah, it cer certainly is. And I, I hope um, I don't know if it's you or someone else in the organization. I saw I see some younger folks and faces. I hope somebody's writing up or at least keeping sort of an oral history of some of this, because, as you point out, um, your mother is, is famous, rightly so, for her leadership. Your father, though, for people that understood, and I was telling John Schlafly, Phyllis Schlafly's oldest son, who himself is a kind of master of uh, making the organization's work. And he knew all about your father, his effectiveness, as you mentioned, as a 
businessman and creative and figuring out how to succeed. So, all right, Hugh Brown. We're now let's let's move. Let's segue. I don't want to spend too much time. It's wonderful. We could try to talk for hours. Uh, uh, American Life League. You're the executive vice president. There's a piece that was put out that was sent to me that grabbed my attention because, and I love this by the way. When you were five in 1974, you were taken. You were taken. I'm sure against your will, as a five year old should be, to the first March for Life uh, in Washington D.C. Yeah. So you, you you've been a, you've been a, a history. But I was really interested in this uh, press release that I got because there is a quote from uh, Nellie Gray, who is the founder of the march, who and and has, is deceased of quite a few years now. But um, she was uh, very effective at turning a gathering into a uh, an expression of of pro-life will. And I'm not complaining. I'm just describing. That was her gift. And when I'm describing, I'm saying that's not as common now with organizations. There's lots of different pro-life things going on. So she was extraordinary. And you are actually quoting from her talking not about, um, hey, it's a it's a choice or it's a child or uh, could we de- defund Planned Parenthood, but about the evil of what's going on. Tell, tell me why you wanted to highlight that now, why it's important, why I think American Life League occupies that space telling that truth. Well, that's a fantastic question. And I think the answer, you know, my, my father had um, a comment that I think helped answer that indirectly. And that, that, that then leads to the explanation, which is that you have what? It's so 47, 48 years of legalized abortion. Um, so yeah. you have what two two generations, three generations of people yeah. that don't know any better, okay? And they turn on their televisions yeah. and they see that this celebrity playing their favorite game show is donating their money to Planned Parenthood because it supports parenting and women's rights and all these other things. When the truth is, you know, Planned Parenthood likely has the devil the devil himself sitting as chairman of the board. I mean, this is an organization dedicated to slaughter. It's an organization, you know, dedicated to, to killing children. I mean, they, they perform, you know, they kill 300 plus thousand people a year just through surgical abortions themselves in their own facilities, right? More than the population of Pittsburgh. So, and then they lie, they cheat, they, they just, they're, they're unbelievably evil and they profit from death. So when we highlight the evil, that's because when you talk about abortion, people want to just sort of put it in a box and say, well, Let's yeah. talk about this part or that part or the other part. You're talking about child sacrifice, right? You, you, we have to be able to talk about the things that people don't want to talk about. And that's the truth, right? The truth is invincible. That's what's made Judy who Judy yeah. is. And like I said, it's yeah. kind of a great um, It has. Yeah, right. No, no. And, 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 and amongst, um, in the world of politics, I'll never forget, uh, we're talking with Hugh Brown again, ALL.org is the website. Let me highlight, by the way, one of your team, I think it's the policy director. His name is, I know his name, I can't remember his title, Dwayne Courier, 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 I can't pronounce it, C-U-R-R-I-E-R. And, and he, he's, he's got a piece on over about three or four or five days ago posted on American Life League's, uh, YouTube page, a video that's very effective and, and I highlight that for everyone. But I'll never forget John Ashcroft told me one time, the old attorney general, Missouri senator and all, we're driving up from Springfield, Missouri in my car, my truck, and I'm driving him up to an event. I was running for Congress at the time, 2010. 
And he said, oh, Ed, you know, you might win. I said, yeah, that's the plan. He said, you know, you'll hate it in Congress. I said, what do you mean? He said, everybody in Congress compromises. He said, and after a while, it just makes you crazy. And this is a guy that was a U.S. senator, you know, and, and I said, uh, well, why am I doing this? And he said, oh, you know, because you have to lead. You have to have the voice. There is a bully pulpit, and it's important. And my, again, talking to Hugh Brown, um, a lot of the people get caught up in the policy debate and therefore, it's not that they they don't know the truth. They know the truth. It's evil to kill a baby. It's not interesting and a bad choice. It's evil to kill a baby. But they hold back on that in some sort of idea that they can make progress. And I think that's tempting to a lot of people in the world that tries to beat you down with cancel culture and everything else to try not to be... I don't know, too harsh. And I guess my question to you, Hugh, is as you call this out, is it worse today than ever in terms of naming the evil or is it better? Well, uh, well, that's a fantastic question. Look, I, I think, look, the world we live in today with regards to abortion, so it's been legalized nationally and it was in since the early 70s, but it was legalized in states, certain states before that. And when they talk about 63 million people dying, you're talking about surgical abortion. Right? You're not talking about chemical abortion. You're not talking about other forms of um, birth control that actually end lives. Again, something people don't want to talk about. But again, the truth just makes people very uncomfortable. Right. And that, that includes society, too. You tell the truth or you're labeled just sort of a bigot or a nutcase. So I think to me, it's worse. And why is it worse? It's mm. worse because with social media and everything else, uh, the truth has been demonized. You know, evil is unleashed, if you will. And people, as you just said, they look for the simplest form of, of making excuses or compromising when you're dealing with death, right? You're dealing with death. But that makes people uncomfortable. We have a church here locally, and the um, Knights of Columbus, I guess, at some point, uh, an organization within the Catholic Church that supports the parishes, they have a monument that they'll put in front of different um, parishes. It's a national thing they do, but it's, it's a tombstone. And it just, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it says pray for the unborn or something simple like that. We have a parish here that many years ago, I heard from someone in the parish, uh, the priest wanted it removed because the, the wording was fine. But the fact that it was a tombstone made many of us parishioners uncomfortable because it's a complicated subject. This is a Catholic. That, that's just a, a very general example of the insanity we're dealing with, where the choir itself, so to speak, is not only itself divided, but also unsupportive. So... We have a lot of work to do, and it's it's daunting, but, I mean, God has placed us in this time and place and this challenge in front of us for a reason. So we have to commit yeah. and just you know, keep working. Well, it's, um, it is a really interesting time. In some ways, I think, uh, as you point out, it, 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 social media and other things, it makes it worse. People don't want the, um, they don't want the friction of when they get attacked by uh, the minions of, of the evil one that come out and say, oh, my gosh, look at you. You're a bigot. You're judging other people. On the other hand, we, we have the ability where, you know, imagine, I hate to say this to you, imagine if Judy Brown had uh, social media starting in 1980 because she was a gifted, is it, she still is, a gifted communicator and her real uh, uh, skill was that she was able to build this group, the community of believers, and she was mostly doing it through mail and meetings and other things. So uh, the tools can be used for evil, uh, but they can most be used for good. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm out of time. Hugh, we'll have you back on again. I, I want to encourage you again on American Life League, ALL.org, everybody. Check it out. And uh, the great work you've done, and especially the uh, the people that have been drawn to the work uh, through you. It's a real uh, service to the country. So thank you for the time and uh, for all you're doing. 
Yes, sir. Thank you, Ed. God bless you. God bless. Okay, we'll take a break, everybody. And don't forget, we'll post all this over at ProAmericaReport.com, all these segments. And uh, and I'll make sure within the uh, notes of this, I put the YouTube channel for the American Life League. ALL.org is their website. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a ProAmerica Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been too long. Our friend Selena Zito, who writes, well, all over the place. She's at the Washington Examiner. Is a recent piece that I saw her uh, on COVID. Um, if you get signed up at selenazito.com, I think she'll make sure I do that right. You can get an email when she'll, she'll give you an update when she writes and things. So uh, welcome back, Selena. How are you? Well, thanks so much for having me. It's wonderful to be back. Well, so, Selena, it's about one year. We're all seeing this sort of celebrations, one year of Joe Biden's presidency. And, you know, I actually did an interview on a TV station, and I said, look, there's plenty of things, if you're a Democrat, that he has achieved. He's actually nominated a bunch of judges that got through. He's made a bunch of appointments. He's changed a bunch of policies. Um, they did sign something that had a bunch of money in it for infrastructure, sort of. Uh, but, Selena, as someone who spent, I don't know, in the last 10 years, you've probably spent half your time talking to people in all parts of the country, you know, whether it was Trump counties or Biden voters. Um, what What's Biden done to the, uh, the the tone in the country? I mean, you can't say he's any better than Trump was. And most of Trump, it feels like to me, was the media hated him. But I don't know what at one year out. How do you feel? Um, well, I, I think uh, this presidency has not lived up to the promise uh, and the pledges that it made that it would be, which was to be less divisive, which was to unite the country, um, which was, you know, uh, to uh, end the virus. I mean, there's a, a, a numerous amounts of pledges that he made that none of, that none of them he has fulfilled. And, and it is really sort of astounding when you talk to voters the sentiments that they feel about this presidency and the sense of disappointment. Uh, and, and it all began uh, with how he handled the exit from Afghanistan. Uh, you know, 20 years right. from now, if I'm still around and someone asks me, when did Biden's presidency start to collapse? It's going to be that day. That's when you saw voter yeah. sentiments change. And while the White House dismissed it and, the, and my profession dismissed it, that is when he started to fall out of favor with voters. And he has never recovered from that moment. Uh, we're talking with Selena Zito, by the way. It is selenazito.com if you go there and you can click on these links that will run the list. And uh, Washington Examiner I've, uh, uh, on in the New York Post, there's a couple of key ones. I can't get to all of them. It's been too long, Selena. But I want to ask you about the Washington Examiner piece from a few days ago. The moment Joe Biden finally lost his credibility, I mentioned off the air to you, this was Selena Zito pretty grumpy like i mean and 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 when you wrote this when i read this i thought she's not just reporting she's she's describing a frustration that she's feeling and and conveying and um that speech was i i, I was on another show and i said to someone um you know i wasn't the one that was friends with strom thurman maybe i would have been i never met him but joe biden was now he's calling me bull connor because i don't agree with him i mean that was a that was an extraordinary speech even in this modern era right that was an absolutely extraordinary speech. And yes, usually I'm not 
so um, pointed in my columns. My columns are traditionally reported columns. Uh, yeah. And that one was too. But however, I took people's names out of it because I didn't want them to sort of been piled on by on social media. But but I talked to Democratic voters and they were and, and these are moderate Democrats, people that would be very much well aligned with Kirsten Cinema and or Joe Manchin, um, who were completely turned off by not just the words that he used, because those words were directed at moderate Democrats, not Republicans, but also the tone in which he delivered it. It was nasty. It was um, it was unnecessary. And it was probably the most divisional thing I have seen uh, in American politics in probably 10 years. And I cover a lot of politics. You've seen a, uh, by the way, I should point out the book uh, and there's a paperback copy version of it. The Great Revolt Inside the Populist Coalition Reshaping American Politics. Selena Zito and Brad Todd, uh, the noted uh, uh, political strategist, uh, wrote that together. Um, and I want to finish by going back a different column you wrote, uh, uh, Why Greensburg Turned Red in uh, the Washington Examiner um, and, and related to the book, uh, The Great Revolt. The polling shows this dramatic shift over a year generically away from Democrats towards Republicans. Um, is this, in your experience, sort of um, typical? Uh, it's more extreme, but it's, is, it, is it a real shift or is it the off-year disgust like what happened to Trump in 18, uh, like what happened to Obama in 10, uh, or is something bigger going on? Absolutely something bigger. I've never seen numbers like that for Republicans ever ever in the 40 years I've been around American politics. These numbers were hmm. astounding. Um, Republicans are never this, never ahead. The most Republicans are ever ahead is like one percentage point, ever. There is right. seven percentage points ahead. And, they, and that, that, that began with a nine-point deficit. So they've gone up 16, 17 percentage points in terms of who identifies as a Republican. And, and it's not, and I think this is really important to understand, two really important things. It's not that they like Republicans more. They're just really <laughs> mad at Democrats. But also, there's this added pressure uh, in our culture from corporations, um, news organizations, uh, Hollywood, sports entities, right? They're putting the squeeze on voters as well. They're telling them, if you don't do this, you're racist. If you don't do that, you're a bigot. You're, if you don't do this, you're dumb. Um, and, and they're rejecting it outright. There is, so it's not just mm. politics that they are pushing away against. And I think this is so important and so missed. But it's also the culture that they're rejecting. And I think this is going to be, this could be like 18, I think it was 1892 when there was a Republican or Democrat. One of the parties won 100 states. 100. Wow. Wow. Um, uh, real quick, Selena, um, you referred to uh, how, how the voters feel. 
You wrote a piece in November, I think, just after the election about Virginia. And I, I live in Virginia now. And I was telling somebody, it's not that the voters were sick of uh, CRT only. They, they're sick of um, the powers that be telling them what to do in a kind of snide way. And, and, and you know, they're just kind of like, they're, they're, it doesn't, they always, we're always used to people thinking they're better than us. It's just, and that's, that's common, right? It's like life and all. But yeah. there's this sort of sense that you, you, you people are just nasty about it right now. And, and here's the thing I don't understand. How does Schumer and Pelosi and Biden, they're not kids. They're pretty experienced. They don't see this. I mean, it, it's, it's so palpable. This is what happens when you're encased in, in a bubble and people throw that, that, that line out a lot. But it's absolutely true. When everyone that you interact in your life, from the moment you wake up to the moment you um, take your slippers off and go into bed, think like you share the same sentiments that you, that you believe your own words. And, and I will tell you what, there has never been in the history of the United States, Washington, D.C., deciding an election. So the people right. that live in Washington, D.C. may have the loudest voices. They may be the most powerful. However, they will not determine um, um, uh, an election. And you're right. The tone in the in Virginia, I covered it for weeks ahead of the election. The tone towards regular folks was like, you're just not good enough to even, you know, share the same oxygen as us. So we're just going to think for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, Selena, last question, a little bit lighter. We've covered a lot of ground here. Um, from uh, a month, a month early this month, I have a friend of mine, let's call him John who himself lost like 100 pounds in like five yeah. months. And so he yeah. saw the piece you wrote about Mike Pompeo, who lost, I think the title was How He Lost Nearly 100 Pounds in Six Months. And and some of the people on, on crazy social media went through like deconstructing your column and saying, Pompeo must be lying. He, he must have had a surgery or cancer or something. So once and for all, how did he do that? I mean, what, what you sat there and talked to the guy. You, 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 Selena, Zito can tell, Selena Zito can tell when you lie if she sits across from you. So yeah. what, 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 tell me this, the real deal on this. No carbs, no sugar, and it's completely possible to do it that way. I would be the most miserable person in the world. I'm Italian. <laughs> um, uh, car- carbohydrates are my oxygen. Um, however, right. uh, you do that, you, that, way, that weight is just going to fall right off of you, which is exactly what it did. Right. Well, that's what I told my friend. My friend's like, I did it like that. And I, I did it. And I said, well, so anyway. All right. Selena Zito, as always, thank you for all your writings. You can see, hear everybody uh, you. as that we covered a whole bunch of ground. SelenaZito.com. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Selena. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, the conservative pro-family broadcast of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a leading voice for the sanctity of life, traditional education, the Constitution, and American sovereignty. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. China has sold Americans a dazzling array of counterfeits and forgeries, including copyrighted books, music, and expensive fashion apparel. But much more dangerous is the tainted food that China sells us. The China Bee Products Association claims that half of all honey sold in China is fake. Chinese baby milk killed Chinese babies after melamine was added to conceal the milk's low protein count. China tops the list of countries with tainted products. 
There are some U.S. inspections in China, but they surely are not what we are used to in the United States. Even our pets are in danger. Mysterious canine illnesses and deaths have been linked to jerky treats from China, and two manufacturers pulled leading brands off their shelves. Federal officials said the current outbreak sickened 3,000 dogs and 10 cats and killed about 600 canines. China's latest venture into deception is collecting empty bottles of genuine alcohol, refilling them with a cheap substitute, such as antifreeze, from who knows where, and then reselling this counterfeit alcohol to popular bars and restaurants in Beijing. The police discovered 37,000 bottles of this fake alcohol ready to be delivered. An expert on Chinese health at the Council on Foreign Relations, Yang Zhang Huang, explained that the big difference between Chinese and U.S. medicine safety is this. U.S. vaccines are kept safe by supporting institutions such as the market economy, democracy, media monitoring, civil society, and the business ethics code, plus inspections and regulations, severe punishment for violators, and lawsuits by trial lawyers. Communist China does not tolerate any of these safety precautions. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. If you're busy taking notes, you can stop now because these commentaries in written form and spoken audio are archived on the website phyllisschlafly.com, many recorded by Mrs. Schlafly herself. If you're doing research or missed a day, just go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and re-listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Uh, another great program. I hope you'll go back to ProAmericaReport.com or go to ProAmericaReport.com and listen to some of these great interviews. Uh, Selena Zito, she was referring to, and I'm not sure if she got the year right, but I looked it up during the break, 1894. 1894, uh, the midterm elections. Uh, Grover Cleveland was a Democrat president in his second term. And the Republicans won a net of plus 110 seats. Um, so she was referring to more than 100, 100, plus 110 seats, a massive swing. They call it a realigning uh, election. I'll do a little more reading on it. We'll come back to it because I think we could be in that kind of neck of the woods. Although I, I don't know. I don't know. In some ways, I think it's, uh, it's a little different because so much of the country is already split. Uh, they sort of know where they are. 45% is going to always vote against the Democrats and 45 is going to always vote against the Republicans. I'm not sure it's quite swingable, but we'll see. All right. But we're at the, po- the point in the program where I want to highlight something you can do, something you can do. And today I want to highlight you reconnecting with the man called Scott Pressler. If you go to Twitter, which is really the best place to see um, his action, what he's up to, it's at Scott Pressler, and that's two T's on Scott, S-C-O-T-T, and then Pressler is just one S, P-R-E-S-L-E-R, at Scott Pressler, hashtag the persistence, he's always used that. I met him about five years ago. And he was an early guest on the show when he just was starting out. Now he's got almost a million followers on Twitter. He's got a website, scottpressler.org. And he literally travels the country 
all the time and registers voters. And he's just an amazing energy machine. He's an energy monster. And if you watch him, you'll see he's fearless in taking up new aspects of his goal. His goal is to register more Republican voters everywhere that it matters. So the other day he was on Twitter and he was doing a search on Twitter for people who described that they moved uh, to Florida. And, and he would contact them and say, you moved to Florida. I see on Twitter, have you registered to vote? And a whole bunch of people registered to vote. He was in Hawaii. By the way, someone told me that the other day they pronounced it Hawaii. I always say Hawaii, but they said Hawaii. Anyway, he was in Hawaii registering voters. He goes across the country. He does these talks. He's been at the Eagle events we have where he says, you, you meet somebody and you say, how you doing? And then you say, are you registered to vote where you currently live? He said, because that's one of the big mistakes. People say, yeah, well, yeah, I'm registered to vote. But they moved uh, a year and a half ago and they never, moved, never updated things. Anyway, he's an extraordinary guy. And if you go to at Scott Pressler on Twitter or scottpressler.org, you may find that there's a way to get uh, to, to one of his events, to be a part of it. But you may just learn how to do something. And with Scott, he's not afraid. When I first got to know him, he was writing thank you notes to people that voted for Trump in 2016. And he just, he, he just tries. He just tries to move the needle, and he gets better and better at it all the time. He, he spent like six months or a year uh, picking up garbage in the inner cities because he realized that was a way to get people working together. I mean, he's just an amazing guy. At Scott Pressler on Twitter. Check him out. All right. I got to run. Thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our great producer, Joanna Spilger, for her great work. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.